This podcast contains sensitive content, which some may find disturbing. Information shared here should not be construed as medical advice. If you or someone you love needs help with trauma, chronic pain, or anything else we discuss here, please seek out a medical professional. All resources shared are for entertainment purposes only. All content represents the opinions of Kim and Anna and any special guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions of any organizations they work for. This is not ideal, but we're going with it. A mother-daughter podcast about chronic pain, trauma, mental illness, and more. Kim is a trauma therapist and certified addiction counselor who lives in Pennsylvania, USA. And her daughter, Anna, is a scoliosis sufferer and trauma survivor living in the tropical north of Australia. Join us each week as they discuss topics from their life experiences. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. This is Not Ideal, but we're going with it, the podcast. I'm Kim and I'm the mom. And I'm Anna, I'm the daughter. And today we have a special guest star. Hello, I'm Sophie. (laughs) Welcome, Sophie. We're so glad that you're here. She's one of my precious gem friends from this country. We met on, what was it called again? I always forget. Bumble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bumble, but not because Bumble's like a dating site. It's like yeah. Bumble best friends. Bumble, Bumble B- BFF. Bumble yeah. BFF. Yeah. Oh my word, it was so much fun. <laughs> it's my only experience with online relationships of any kind, and it so far has been great. <laughs> I know, me too. Me I, too. I used it to make exactly two friends, Sophie, of which was <laughs> Sophie, whom was one, and the other one. I am also good friends with. And then as soon as I reached two friends, I'm like, that's enough. <laughs> so my stellar profile, the, the my my profile picture was that photo that you took of me on our oh, no, <laughs> Sophie's one. Yeah. when we were island jumping in Hawaii in that first class, we got like upgraded to first class and I was eating that salad. <laughs> <laughs> You took those photos of me not paying attention. That was your Bumble BFF profile photo with your mouth wide open. Yeah, and something. How did it work? Did it work well? Yeah, well, it did because it was so different to anything that I had seen. Everybody else was to meet this person that's got like them eating a salad on a plane, like crazy. I was like, suits me because I'm a little bit chaotic myself. Yeah. So, so I yeah. just was like, I love this. It was it, for real though. All the other girls on there were treating it like they were still on a dating website. Like it was like all the other girls on there had like such nice profile they pictures do. and everything, and their profiles were so curated. And I was like, well, I'm not looking for a perfect mm. friend. I want somebody who's like a little bit nuts. <laughs> anyway, we found each other. Yeah. So that's so interesting. Bumble BFF is that still available to people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What was your first date like, guys? We went to the Beehive, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, the little cafe. Um, yeah. It was, so, it was so nice. Like, it was just like an instant connection. I loved it so much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. we, had, we had such a good, like, text. Like, we did. We, we had a great rapport going. Yeah. <laughs> so it just it was so easy. <laughs> it so was. Easy. And we got there and we th- this uh, cafe, it's right on the water. And they have all these plants hanging all through it. And there was like a little clipping from the plant that was like hanging over the side I was like I want that so I like grab (laughs) anyway and look that plant I still have it it's right over there see that's cute it's lasted just as long as our friendship oh that's cute I know it and you both knew right away it was gonna work oh for sure yeah I remember coming home and Aaron goes so how was your 
coffee date with that girl. And I was like, oh, oh. it went so well. <laughs> I found a keeper, 100%. Which is why then when I got home from that date, then that was, That's my, so great. That was my profile. Yeah. So you guys met on Bumble BFF. You've been friends for two years. And now Sophie is here to share with us her journey through being diagnosed and treated for ADHD. We're so excited to have you here, Sophie. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. So you guys, we're here to talk about ADHD and especially women and ADHD and trauma. Um, like we talked about last episode, ADHD is a serious neurobiological disorder and it's treatable. It's not curable. And the goal of treatment is to make the symptoms more manageable. And there's a lot of reasons to get ADHD treated because of the statistics are not really positive for people with untreated ADHD. They tend to have actually a shorter lifespan by seven years, higher rates of accidents, stress levels, trauma. There's actually a genetic marker. You'll in be AD- fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I would look, I'm not at all concerned. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> There's actually a genetic marker in ADHD brains that make them more susceptible to trauma. So it's really important to get it treated. They have higher rates of self-injury, dental trauma, health disorders, higher rates of anxiety and depression, substance use disorders, all kinds of things. I guess people with ADHD like to bite things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Oh, no. Teeth grind. Dental. Oh, teeth grind. Yeah. Oh, she got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Teeth grind, also head injuries. So a lot of um, accidents, people with ADHD can have a higher rate of accidents. And so a lot of head injuries, which contributes to the sometimes the shorter lifespan. And so again, not what people used to think of ADHD as something that you'll grow out of or something that's really minor or mild. It's really important to get it treated. And we are here to talk to Sophie who has figured this out and is on the path to getting diagnosed and treated. So Sophie, can you just tell us about your journey? How did you know that this was something that you might want to look into? And then what happened next? Yeah, beautiful. So I think the at the, the first sort of inkling that I had that something wasn't quite right, I was working in an office and I found that I was struggling with things that other girls in the office, even, you know, girls my age, were just doing super fine with. And it mm. wasn't like any particular task, but rather a bigger, broader issue such as like time management. I wasn't very good at prioritizing my tasks and then allocating the appropriate amount of time to do them. I also found that I would get super overwhelmed if there was like too much noise in the office and Mm. I would like, Mm. it would almost be like I would vague out or zone out for that period of time Um, and it would be like 20 minutes would go by and I would have no idea what I've done. Sometimes my boss would, I think, I guess, catch me in a zone out and he would, it would startle me awake and I obviously would visibly be startled by the fact that he's just interrupted my zone out. And I mean, there was relationship issues. Well, not relationship issues. No, that makes sense. Professional, like professional, professional clashing. Yeah, with yeah. him as it was, I didn't respond so well to his management, management style. style. No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> not at all. So there were just things that I really sort of struggled with and I couldn't get a grasp on that other mm. girls in the office were just absolutely fine with. So that was when I sort of thought, well, what 
the hell is going on here? <laughs> and Sophie, was this your first like full-time job or? Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. no, I, I did have, ha- I had had other jobs before. My first ever job was just working in a retail store. So mm-hmm. that wasn't at all sort of an issue. I only ever had to serve my customer first. That was priority number one. Everything else just came after. So that was a lot easier for me to obviously manage in my brain. And then my next job after that was I was a disability support worker for a little while. And again, same thing. My client was priority number one and everything else just came after whatever order I had to do other things in like cleaning, cooking, all of that kind of stuff. As long as my client was happy and healthy first, then that was the rest just came after. So it didn't require as much like self-regulation of your schedule. No. And Sophie, it sounds like those other two jobs were very physical. They were. Was this job more station, you know, like where you're sedentary, seated, having to process tasks and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just sat at a desk in front of two computer screens. I had a phone and that was just my my space very different, very different sort of setting. So good for you. So you just had the self-awareness that, okay, something isn't right here. These other people are doing this without a problem. I'm zoning out and having trouble. So what did you do next? So, you know, it was getting to a point where it was really getting in the way of me performing at this last job. So Those I were thought, really hard days. I remember how, yeah, I really, how miserable you really I were. I really was. I was, and it was hard because I was so confused by, yeah, you know, my reaction to things and watching, you know, the other, so I had a, when I started at the office, I had a trainee also start at the exact same time as me. And mm-hmm. I have always been very clever, very academically smart. I, I could always manage things. I always understood things, but I just, I watched her like surpass me. She didn't even seem to have an issue with, you know, these things that I was having issues with. And it just, mm-hmm. it was really saddening. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what was wrong at that point. So I, which was one of the questions we went over in the, in the test that mom and I did in our last episode. Do you, right mom, do you experience people who you feel like are of your same intelligence level or station in life surpassing you and you don't know why? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then Mm -hmm. I started to value my self-worth, you know, on how productive I was being compared to her. And I just, Mm -hmm. it just, it got messy. So at that point I thought I'm going to go and see my GP. I didn't really think, I wasn't thinking too much that I definitely did have ADHD. I just was like, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's Mm -hmm. what the issue is. I definitely thought maybe it was anxiety or depression that I was dealing with here. But when I spoke to my GP, um, it was one thing he said to me, he was like, have you ever been assessed for you know, ADHD. And I said, well, it's not really ever been an issue up until this point. So we booked in, he gave me a referral on a medi- on a mental health care plan for six sessions fairly well immediately with a new psychologist in town. And I worked with her for the next six weeks, an hour every week, just to go through like my experience, you know, my childhood. Because a, a lot of the behaviours that I had been sort of experiencing now were things that I had experienced when I was a kid, but because I'm, I'm fairly self-aware and I'm, I, I know what's going on, I, I had developed these coping mechanisms mm-hmm. without even realising that I had. Mm-hmm. So it was working through all of that, working out like were there things that I was doing growing up that I can re-implement now mm. to help me, you know, get through these mm. issues that I was having at work. That is one of the, at least in the States, one of the requirements of the diagnosis is that some of these symptoms were present prior to age 12. 
However, it can be really hard for people with ADHD to even remember their childhood because of just being so overwhelmed by all the things that are going on <laughs> and just coping and these coping strategies, just trying to survive. So sometimes that can be a difficult piece of the assessment. How soon were you assessed and how did they, like, how did they determine, yes, this is ADHD? She said to me in a session, she said, now, look, I have no doubt that what we're dealing with here is very, you know, high functioning ADHD. But at this point in time, I didn't, I chose not to go down that path of having that very formal, formal diagnosis because I wanted to try one, not try and give myself that label of having, because sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed when I think there's so much going on and I've got issues with my back and I've got, I've also struggled with PCOS. Um, mm. So I, I have a lot going on at the moment. I didn't want to add to that by having another thing mm. on top. So for you, it was kind of scary to have that label. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, having come out of school, like I just, I thought I was just the normal kid with quirks, I think. And then I've had a normal kid with quirks. Um, and I, I guess, and, and I assume that this is part of the ADHD. I always really like to try and deal with just one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. I just, at that point in time, had compounding it felt like they were compounding yeah, issues absolutely. on top of, you know, everything. And I just was like, I, I don't really want another thing on mm. top of that. If I can manage this without needing medication or needing that, yes, you definitely have an ADHD as recognized by, you know, the health system. So, mm. And you would need the official diagnosis to get the medication. And yeah. so what you're saying is that you weren't ready. You, you felt like you want to wait and see if some of these strategies you used as a child could help uh, manage your symptoms better. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and can you share with us what some of those strategies are and how, yeah. how is that working with implementing them as an adult? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I used to do massively as a kid, which I didn't realize was probably a coping mechanism for ADHD was I used to play games with myself, like mm. mentally all the time. So <laughs> um, I was a competitive swimmer growing up. So that exercise as it was helped massively. I would train for an hour and a half every morning, get out all of that sort of energy. And it allowed me, I think, to focus better through the day. But what I would do while I was swimming was play these random little games with myself. And one, for example, was like I would count how many strokes I could take before I needed a breath. So <laughs> each mm. lap I would try and beat my last score of how many strokes between breaths I would take. And then I'd get to the end and I wouldn't have realized that I'd even swam that far because I just was playing these silly mm. games all the time with myself. And so it's just like at the moment I'm working on, are there ways that I can implement this while I'm at work? The other thing I used to do um, in school, which was really random, I would have, I would get three crackers and I would put them in a little plastic bag, like a little, you know, sandwich bag. And I would crack them up in my pocket and have like a little snack while I was studying at school and occupy my mind with getting a little bit of biscuit out of my pocket and putting mm. it in my mouth and trying to leave it in my mouth for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. It's like a, another little game that I would play and it would occupy my mind enough but not draw my focus away from what was going mm. on at school. So 
are just little things like that I used to do all the time that I didn't realize was, you know, that coping mechanism. Those little things that you did as a child were almost helping you get to the next thing and then to the next thing. Is that like of, of a task that is not particularly enjoyable, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, it was that sort of dopamine hit when I would win the little games that would push me to sort of do do more, I guess. Mm. Uh, the only other th- thing that I used to have was sometimes I would get so hyper-focused mm. <laughs> that I would lose. I So, f- for example, if I was really interested in the topic that I was studying, I used to be able to find this like laser focus out of nowhere mm. and I would study for like four or five hours without eating, drinking, and I wouldn't even realise that all that time had passed by. Mm-hmm. And I would get to a point where I think I would wake up from that trance and that was it. I, mm-hmm. my, it was like my brain turned off. I couldn't mm-hmm. get back in mm-hmm. there. Dopamine's so good for my brain. <laughs> that's very common too. Just And that's something that's kind of interesting about ADHD. They're actually changing instead of calling it inattentive, because just like you said, ADHD can have that hyper-focus, but they're calling it now a motivation disorder more than inattentiveness, because it's not like you can't focus. In fact, you can hyper-focus, which other people can't do, yeah. but then the motivation can just be gone after that. Is that, is that, was that your experience? Just like no motivation for anything after yeah, that? Yeah, no, I would, I'd be turning into a bit of a couch potato. Like mm-hmm. I just, it was, I would go from maximum level of activity to absolute zero. And mm-hmm. it was, and having been told that, you know, you do possibly have these ADHD tendencies has done, has allowed me to, when I do find myself in a hyper-focused state and then I become like a total couch potato. I used to be really hard on myself. I used to, you know, be quite upset, but that I wouldn't, I wasn't being productive or that I wasn't being Mm -hmm. totally an efficient human, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I would get quite upset and having spoken with my therapist, it now gives me like, I give myself the space to then be lazy if I need to be lazy Mm -hmm. after, you know, an episode like that. And I actually find that when I'm being a little bit easier on myself, I can pull myself out of that. And after, you know, an hour or two, go back to that activity because I haven't just spent, you know, the last hour, hour and a half, like mentally having this fight with myself about, you know, you need to get up, you need to keep going. Like you've got things to do, you've got assessments due. Mm -hmm. So that's been really good as well. You're still early. It sounds like Sophie in, in the accepting and kind of understanding what your particular form of ADHD needs for you to feel like you're living at your full potential. Is that is that right? Is that where you'd say yeah. you are? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, we're still very, very early on just working through and the same thing, like that one sort of coping mechanism at a time. I, I see my therapist once a month now mm. and we just, um, she gives me, we talk about, you know, my experiences and what's happened. She gives me one thing to work on and I, I get a month to sort of work through that. If there's anything else I find that I implement that works, I'd give that a go as well. Mm-hmm. And then we come back and reassess, reflect and, you know, like start again mm-hmm. with a new a new thing to try. So, yeah, no, we're still quite early on. And what for you so far has been the most difficult part of your journey? One of the things that my therapist said to me was sometimes you can't ask a fish to climb a tree. 
Mm. And that was one thing that I really struggled with because, you know, growing up I used to, I was quite good at a lot of things that I did. Mm -hmm. Definitely the hardest part has been accepting that sometimes I'm just not going to actually be good at everything Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I want to be good at and I just need to accept that that's okay. Like that doesn't mean that I'm any like worse. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a, you know, terrible human or anything Mm -hmm. like that. I'm a a fish that's been asked to climb a tree and sometimes it's just not possible Mm -hmm. and that I think was the hardest bit and accepting that and leaving that job for something that I know would work better for my brain. It just was, that was probably the hardest part. Mm. I know your self-esteem also went down really in that job just because you were really doubting. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, yeah, I had no trust in my ability at all. I had no, I, all that trust in myself that I could do things because I was quite academically good in school. Like all of that went away. Mm -hmm. I really, really was confused by what was happening to me and why I was struggling so Mm -hmm. much when everyone else seemed to just be just fine. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was hard. When you were talking about the crackers and the, the kind of mini games that provided some scaffolding for some of these tasks. Are there other kind of scaffolding techniques that you have started to use that you have found helpful to just continue focusing, getting through, accomplishing tasks, things like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, One thing that very, very, very early on with my therapist, probably within one or two sessions with her that we sort of started working on was building a really good morning routine that I would follow to the T every single morning Mm. as a way of sort of setting myself up for the day. And that involves like I get up, I religiously make my bed, I'll go and I'll do I'll do my makeup first for the day and then I'll have breakfast and I do it the exact same way every single morning. What did you call it? Your main cup? Makeup. Makeup. Oh, your makeup. makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe- I'll go do my main cup first. <laughs> and after that comes my smaller secondary I cup. I thought maybe a main cup was an Australian way of saying my first cup of coffee. No. <laughs> All right, so you go no, no, you no, go no, and do no, your no. makeup and then what would you do? Uh, so just, you know, have breakfast, you know, brush my teeth, get dressed, you know, I but I do it the same way every single morning and it's it's like my therapist sometimes describes like willpower as like a battery. Hmm. And mm, that's so, actually so true. I yeah. did a whole course on that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was explaining like if I'm the less decisions that I can make leave space for more decisions later. Mm. So if I'm doing the exact same thing every single morning, it's like a, a little routine where I don't have to, you know, think, I don't have to use my brain. I can just save that space that I use in creating that morning routine mm-hmm. and use it as, you know, willpower elsewhere yeah. um, and self-discipline elsewhere. And it's been really good at helping me. I used to run late all the time. Mm. <laughs> I never, I was hardly ever on time to appointments, but it's really that sort of having that morning routine has really helped me get on track to being at places on time. Mm. I also want to say about the willpower thing. Did you guys know that that is one of the biggest issues with people who are consistently dieting because they use up all of their willpower reserves on not eating a muffin for breakfast or, you know, cause you're constantly having to deny yourself this or that and use your willpower, which is first of all, one of the reasons that dieting so often ends in uh, binging, but it also spreads to other areas of your life. It can often end in a real long-term depression because they no longer have willpower to do things outside of dieting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of their life tends to kind of slowly slip away 
because they're so they're using up every single ounce of their willpower on dieting and resisting food. But then they end up binging anyway once the battery runs out. So that also doesn't, you know, they don't feel like they're achieving or accomplishing what they set out to accomplish there. Mm -hmm. But they also have no willpower left for the rest of their Mm -hmm. activities or leisure or anything that brings them joy or purpose or accomplishment. Anyway, that's, I was going to say fun fact, but not, (laughs) not really fun, maybe just something to be aware of. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think with ADHD, there's this idea that you have a certain amount, just like you said, of resources for those types of things. Is that right, Sophie? Yeah, yeah. And you have to spend them wisely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And particularly for me, like just by having a set routine that I don't have to think about that is just the same thing every single morning. It's a period of time where I'm not having to use up that energy that I would use to make the decisions to, you know, feel the motivation to get out of bed and all of the rest of that because it's a set religious thing that I do. And it makes, I actually feel like really quite happy when I get to the end of that routine. I think, oh, yay, like I've accomplished Mm -hmm. that really big thing. And it's that hit of dopamine I need to then move on to the next next thing, you know, you know, arriving to work and getting set up. That's such a great point because the the difficulty of making a decision of whether or not to do something difficult or not can just put you into frozen mode if you have ADHD versus I am doing this no matter what. I don't have to decide to do it. Just like you said, I'm doing it uh, routinely every single day. And then at the end of that, I can decide then what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Another another example of that with ADHD, Soph, I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes we talk about struggling with being told what to do. We think about not telling someone with ADHD necessarily what to do is giving them advice or telling them how to run their life can be, it can be a more difficult thing for an ADHD brain to process. And when we work with parents and children, we tell them, you know, think of your child as like having spoons, neurotypical kids maybe have 10 spoons and you can tell them every time you tell them something to do, you're taking a spoon, but someone with ADHD has two spoons. So you you have to be careful not to just use up the spoons with something that is not important. Is that at all your experience of people telling you what to do being more difficult? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I that was one thing I guess at the last job also that I struggled with was because I didn't gel with my boss's management type. Um, he was very, is it authoritarian when they're really like, yes. mm-hmm. you know, and, and micromanaging and I couldn't, I'm the type of person that needs to be left with some responsibility. I need to be able to have the space to make it my own, to, to feel as if I own it mm-hmm. in order for me to feel the motivation to keep on going where I didn't have the space to be creative or to, you know, come up with ways of being more efficient mm-hmm. where I was. And that's such a great point because if we're going to actually accommodate ADHD in the workplace, employers cannot just treat everyone the same. If you notice somebody with a sensitivity that way, you might want to give them more empowerment and give them more choice, just like we do with kids. You know, if you want your child to brush their teeth, you can say, and they have ADHD, you can say, do you want to brush your teeth now? Or do you want to brush your teeth in five minutes? If you brush your teeth now, you can 
have this reward if you do it in five minutes, no reward, but you can wait five minutes, you know? And so like giving more flexibility, it seems like that would not be difficult in an employment setting, but sometimes people, like you said, are very authoritarian. It's got to be this way and I'm only doing it this way for every single person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that style's not going to work <laughs> for you. No, it yeah. did, not, did not work did not work and and it was so interesting to me the contrast because I moved into this new role as an assistant manager and as an assistant manager I get to make the decisions about you know how the shops run and I seem to do a lot better in that sort of a setting having the space for it to for me to be creative and me to make the decisions and for me to be the boss I guess mm. on those couple of days I do really I do quite well and I'm, I, I leave work happier I have so much more motivation when I get home than after work to then do you know those more menial tasks like doing the washing and all that kind of boring jazz <laughs> I have more space on those on those days where mm. I felt like I've been in more control of you know my day absolutely I was kind of with you through everything you happening at the yeah. at the old job and uh I know I was so excited for you when you finally decided to leave and <laughs> for the last like while of you being in that job I was like you need to get out of that it job took me so and I'm such like a non-quitter mm-hmm. I yeah you would you just kept trying to make it work I which I admired and but... fight and fight before I've got to give it up but I just, I think I got to the point where I just, it just was like fighting a battle that I knew I was never going to win. And I just was like, I have to, I have to get out and move on to the next thing. Sometimes when you find something that is a big deal that you've been coping with your whole life and you're not actually getting it treated until you're an adult, there can be some sadness about, oh, I wished I'd gotten this helped earlier. Is there anything like that for you at all, Sophie? Uh, yeah, 100%. It was a bit of a, when I when I first sat down with my therapist and she said that that was, was a bit of like an identity crisis, I think for me, mm. you know, growing up, but I just, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. I, th- I thought, you know, the playing games with yourself thing was a universal experience. I didn't realise that that was just something that I did, that it was special mm. or being able to find those states of really hyper-focus. Again, same thing. I thought that was a universal experience and then to find out that, no, actually it's not like that's a bit, you know, something special that you do that nobody else, you know, or that's not, you know, what's considered normal, I guess, what, you know, what even is normal these days. Mm-hmm. But um, it just, it was a, it was a bit of a wake up call for me to then give myself some leniency because mm-hmm. I've always been so hard on myself and mm-hmm. so, you know, I expect so much from myself. So I just, if, you know, people are listening and they're just finding out for the first time that they've got ADHD, just my biggest thing is to give yourself some space. Mm-hmm. Like that is, you know, to, to sit with it and to process, you know, what's going on and just know that like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody has something, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And find the find the tools and the therapist who can actually help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one one thing that I did is I ended up changing my therapist halfway through my sessions because I just found that I wasn't quite gelling. Mm. I didn't feel like I could open up to that first therapist and I just I found one in the same in the same clinic mm-hmm. and we got along so much better and it just it changed everything so finding that person that you really click with and can talk to and 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 feel like you can open up to is it's so important mm-hmm. so important. 
Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your journey. And we're excited. Maybe we'll check back in with you down the road because I'm sure, like you said, you're still deciding, are these interventions enough? Are they getting me to where I feel satisfied and fulfilled with with what I'm capable of? So it might be might be interesting to talk with you again. I don't know if you'd be up for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come back. Okay, awesome. (laughs) I'll be back. (laughs) Well, I just want to close with a few resources because we've been, last time we talked about Attitude Magazine as a great resource. Another resource for people looking into this is the website by Stephanie Sarkis. Uh, She has a podcast called Talking Brains, and she's got also some books. She has a a, a book called Adult ADHD, A Guide for the Newly Diagnosed. Hmm. And she also has a book called 10 Simple Solutions to Adult ADHD. She has other books and really great insights into this whole journey. So check those things out. Anything you want to add, Anna? No, for once, I'm completely fine to have to just be quiet. Sophie, thank you so much for being on the show with us. I'm Kim. I'm the mom signing off. And I'm Anna. I'm the daughter. We'll see you next week. And I'm Sophie. I'm the friends. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for joining us today. Stay tuned for more podcasts from Anna and Kim on the new series, Not Ideal, But We're Going With It. Also, check out their new website at www.notideal.net.